Hello, welcome to In Good Will. I'm Marshall Bolin. I'm here with my friend Stephen Douglas. Hi, Steve. Hi, Marshall. We're uh, a progressive and a conservative trying to talk to each other in ways that are more productive than what we see in the world at large and on TV and in the media, all that stuff. And this episode, we are talking about the topic of sexual ethics. And this is our second attempt to try to do this. Uh, last week, we, we attempted to talk about this and we talked for three hours and we both just felt a little unsettled for the rest of the week after that. Maybe we were talking past each other and it, it really wasn't that productive of a conversation. So we're going to try again, see if we can do better this time. Yeah, um, I like how you put that, that it felt a little unsettling. We did feel we were talking past each other. And I think that this is a very politically and emotionally charged uh, topic. And so it's very easy for us to do that. And yeah. I think because we want to model things well, we want to engage well, um, it's worth taking another stab at it. I think so. Yeah. Um, if you want to hear some people making some arguments on either side, I'm sure there's any number of podcasts out there, but we're trying to add something that isn't in the conversation yet, something that helps us to hear each other and understand each other more. So let's see if we can get closer to that this week. Yeah, sounds good. Okay, so we got a question from one of our listeners, and we're going to start off the episode reading his question. Uh, Daniel says, as a progressive who was raised evangelical Christian, I appreciate and identify with your dialogue quite a bit. I'd be interested to hear more about something Steve mentioned near the end of the episode that conservatives are worried about losing their religious liberties under the Biden administration. From what I've observed, Biden seems like the most deeply religious president we've had in quite some time. So that comment caught my attention. My, my first thought is one can be very religious and yet not necessarily have a an authentic relationship with God. And I'm not in a position to say that's definitely the case with President Biden. Okay, that's not what I try to mean by that. But that there's a difference between religion and an authentic walking alongside, you know, that we've talked about in past episodes. And so I think our the conservative concern or the, the conservative Christian concern is that um, his interests seem to be divided in that area, that some of his leanings um, politically would take him away from the moorings or the, the uh, structures that are generally involved with uh, our understanding of faith and our understanding of the valuation of life. And so one of those areas is on abortion. Um, and so you've probably heard many Catholics, uh, many conservative Christians um, are almost singularly voting concerning abortion. You know, the, yeah. the, the, the reason they vote and who they vote for has everything to do with their stance on abortion. 
uh, President Biden has committed to um, reopening um, and enlarging opportunity for abortion to occur, ostensibly as a matter of uh, women's reproductive rights. And yet conservative Christians and many Catholics would say, but what about the right of the unborn child? And so, and we plan to do an episode on abortion later. And so we can get into that some more. But another concern is that he has mentioned that he he wants to celebrate um, and be inclusive to all people regardless of their backgrounds. Um, And yet he's also talked about um, removing and reversing Trump's religious exemptions for faith-based ministries when it comes to uh, abortion, you know, protections um, for organizations so that they're not directly funding abortions, and also uh, when it comes to LGBT, you know, that a, a faith-based organization or a church might say, hey, that doesn't fit with who we are and where we're heading, um, and he's saying, no, we need to move, move those organizations to viewing it this other way. Um, yeah, and so it feels co- coercive. So, um, yeah, what I'm hearing from you is that the religious liberties concern surrounds the idea of being able to say, no, I don't want to participate in perpetuating abortions. And I have a religious reason for doing that. And so when I'm limited in my ability to not participate, then uh, that crosses a boundary for me. Right. And yes, so that is, that is the concern. So when it comes to uh, sexuality and it comes to the result of that, um, you know, unwanted pregnancies or whatnot, it feels coercive that faith-based organizations, even churches, may be forced to go along uh, with a political agenda that we don't agree with. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like that idea. I don't want somebody to be forced to participate in something that they uh, have a a strong value against. And I don't want somebody to uh, not be able to practice their religion as fully as they want to. Yeah. Yeah. I I get it. That that makes sense. Yeah. So So it might be the case that even, even if Biden is a very authentically devout person, he's Catholic, right? Right. Mm-hmm. that the religious liberties concern would still be there, uh, regardless of how authentic he really is and how well-meaning he is. Right, which, which is very interesting because um, under the Trump administration, um, Donald Trump was uh, a very non-religious person and has had a history of that. And yet conservatives sort of viewed him as their champion, um, in some odd ways. And I, I think some of that was dangerous because I think we were putting too much stock in a political candidate. But, um, you know, the reason why was he was championing um, a conservative stance on abortion and on uh, cultural and sexual issues and things like that. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, I, my hope is that we can find a way to 
get everybody's needs met in this situation hmm. um, without violating somebody's sacred boundaries. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I'd at least like to hear more of an attempt to do that. I think yeah. what, what we're doing right now is the right starting place, even though it's going to be complex and it's going to be challenging and we have strong feelings. I don't want to get my needs met at the expense of yours, Steve. Right. And, and vice versa. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so the topic at hand is sexual ethics and I think you wanted to start with a definition of sexual ethics and explore which of our, uh, which definitions each of us has for that. Yeah. Expression. You know, as, as we kind of talked about this episode, one of the things that I thought became kind of a, important was when we say sexual ethics, rather than just talking broadly about the concept of sexuality or sexual expression, ethics seems to indicate a movement toward oughts or shoulds. Um, mm -hmm. And so how should things be? How should we uh, order our lives when it comes to sexuality? And I think that that becomes one of the challenging areas um, in this conversation because I think most people are approaching it as oughts and shoulds. Except there's a lot of presuppositions that go into our understanding of what an ought or a should is. And so I think we need to acknowledge that. Um, and, and so we're probably going to view sexual ethics a little bit differently because of our presuppositions, because of the direction that we're coming at it from. Makes sense to me. And so I, I think if we're going to be accurate in defining this, um, we also need to consider that there's probably a pretty broad spectrum of where people come at this from, where their presuppositions are, and where we find ourselves landing in that. And so yeah. I think, you know, we could say very broadly um, that there is a conservative sexual ethic and I can't speak for all conservatives uh, because there are going to be atheistic conservatives. Um, there are going to be um, Muslim or Jewish conservatives. There's going to be, you know, any number of fiscal conservatives. Um, and they may view things very, very differently when it comes to sexuality. Yeah. Um, and then I, I think you'd probably say on the progressive or maybe even there's a distinction between progressive and liberal in some ways. And then we were, we've been talking a little bit about con, like Christian ethics and like LGBT perspectives on sexual ethics. And so there's a broad spectrum. And, and those aren't, I don't think you mean to juxtapose those two. Those are just two different approaches that might have some overlap and they might not. They could, right, yeah. And so um, all we can do is kind of say, hey, we're coming at this from a particular viewpoint and our own presuppositions, and we need to acknowledge that. And I think when we are having conversations out in the broader culture with other people, especially other people who are uh, coming at it from a different perspective than we are, we need to be open to sort of defining those terms and defining our presuppositions. Hey, 
I'm coming at it from a conservative Christian perspective. Here's why. And yeah. that doesn't mean that I'm coming to cudgel you with my perspective, but I, I can't move away from my perspective. Yeah. Um, so how do we have a fruitful conversation with these two perspectives in play and then find places of common ground? Right. Yeah. Well, I like what you said about not cudgeling and uh, a lot of my friends and family who are um, members of the LGBT segment of society, they have their attitudes towards uh, life and towards laws and towards religion, uh, largely as a result of being cudgeled. Mm -hmm. So I'm just curious what kind of collaboration and uh, connection and cooperation progressives and conservatives can have if we get cudgeling out of the picture. Yeah. And I, I, I'd agree with that. Like um, I I'm, I'm curious what can, what can occur and, yeah. and what we can build. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a complex layer of this charged topic. I mean, this is the pattern and prototype of any conflict really, which is, one side starts off with unmet needs and they try to explain the unmet needs to the other side. And they do that in a way that doesn't necessarily ensure that they care about the needs of the other side. And so now the other side is defensive and the side that started off with the unmet needs that they want to communicate, they might even start engaging in some dominative behavior towards the other side. And so now we're in a tangled knot because we've got to be able to hear the unmet needs and figure out a way to meet them. And now we've got to hear them on both sides and we've got to find a way to validate and meet the unmet needs while holding accountable the actions that have been taken by one or the other side to try to get their needs met. Totally agreed. I think that is such a healthy way of thinking about that, Marshall. Um, and as a progressive, yeah. I'd just love to say that I am heartbroken and uh, fed up and almost cynical and feeling alienated uh, over the last decade, for sure, about some of the ways in which my clan has gone about trying to make the progress that I, I really want to see made. And uh, every day I uh, shake my head and think that <laughs> that is not a good way to go about communicating your unmet needs. And uh, I used to feel like it was, it was easier to be a progressive. And now I, uh, I find myself angry at the behavior of people on both sides, but particularly heart heartbroken to see in, in, an increase in coercive behavior and uh, behavior that I think is not as thoughtful as it could be on the side of the progressives. And, you know, this is one of the reasons I love you, Marshall. I mean, uh, that you, you're willing to say those things. And I mean, that even being able to hear that is very healing 
Good. I hope so. Yeah. And, I want healing. Right. And, and I want to say similar things back. Like, I'm also heartbroken when I see uh, Christians or I see conservatives sort of beat up on people um, over sexual ethics or over, um, you know, where they land. I've had some really good friendships with, with people um, who are gay and have really cared about them and, and still do. And just seeing how they've felt hurt by, by people in my tribe has, has hurt me. And so I want to be compassionate because we're talking about real people on, on both sides. Yeah. And we want to hear each other. Yeah. I would love for people who are concerned about LGBT acceptance, like I am, to understand that complex layer of this situation, that it is mm -hmm. possible for somebody to be genuinely caring about you and have a religious belief that maybe doesn't have a good effect on you, but um, it's not that they want it to have a bad effect on you. <laughs> I don't know a better way to say it. You know, there's genuine care. Yeah. And sometimes not, but I just want right. people to know that there is genuine, it's possible. Right, it, it is. And, oh, I, I want my conservative tribe to hear that too uh, for the opposite reason that, okay, we, we hold to something that we think is, is God's will and, and uh, what he's expressed to us. But how we do that, our disposition in it, toward people is so important. Um, and, and so I think I've brought this up in previous episodes, but uh, it's not always just the matter at hand that's important. It's the manner in which we talk about it that is important as well. Yeah. Um, and, and can be at least as important as the matter itself. Yeah. We had some questions that we wanted to ask each other, and, and I think they were pretty good for both sides. Um, so yeah. why, don't you, uh, why don't you go ahead and Ask our first one. Okay, sure. Steve, my question to you is, what would you personally love to hear from someone who is LGBT and or has different code of sexual ethics from you? I guess I would love to hear from them. Even if you are different or you don't have the same perspective or maybe you're not super supportive of this expression of, of my sexuality, um, that I still value you and I'm still willing to engage with you and, and be a friend um, because that's certainly how I feel back. I, I, you know, I think uh, we want to be judged by the content of our character. Yeah. Okay, so I heard you, you have a need for uh, being valued, being appreciated, and being understood. Yeah. Would, and, you add, and I, would you add another need there? I would. I'd add one more need, and that is uh, I'm not going to coerce you. I'm not going to force you. Oh, right. To yeah. Yeah. Um, adopt the same perspective. Yeah, you have a need for space to 
express your values in the way that is most in line with your values. Yeah. And to not be forced to forced to go along with something that goes against your values. Right. God, I understand that. I have the, all those same needs. Yeah. And I think I'd, I'd sort of ask, I, I know that one of the things you've mentioned prior to our um, starting this episode was you've got uh, quite a number of uh, friends who are part of the LGBT community yeah. and you feel strongly that you need to advocate for them and, and, and support them. And, and uh, in this conversation, uh, be a representative of them. And yeah. I think that's, that's a good thing. Um, yeah. And so if you could be sort of uh, channeling them, so to speak, you know, I'd ask the same question back. Yeah. What would I love to hear from conservatives? I would love to hear that I have the space and my LGBT friends and family have the space to come up with our own answers about how to express our sexuality in a way that's most in line with our values. And I, I would love to hear, yeah, kind of like you said, that um, I can be free from coercion in terms of somebody trying to force me to change my values or force me to hide them. I would like to hear somebody say, yeah, I've got my Christian sexuality code or even some other religion. And that's important to me, but uh, you better believe that I'm going to be the first one there. If some kind of uh, coercion or violence happens, I'm going to be the first one there to say, this isn't right. And uh, this shouldn't have happened. And we care about you. And this is not what we stand for. Yeah. Yeah. And let me just be, one person from my camp to say, I want to be that person. I want to be there for people. If ever there were a situation like that, that I would stand up for them and I would protect them. Oh, thank you. That feels good to hear. Yeah. Even if we, we may disagree, I think that there's a place where we say it is totally inappropriate for there to be violence, there's totally, it's totally inappropriate for there to be uh, a, a forcing, you know, even, even if we'd hope that things were different for that person. Yeah. 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 I want to avoid coercing anybody or dominating them. Yeah. Well, so uh, you, you had another one that uh, I thought was really interesting, um, but I think you should ask that. Okay. Yeah. So Steve and I talked about this before we started the session and the way that I phrased this question, I realized that it's a charged way of phrasing it and I don't want it to be a, a gotcha question. I don't want to back Steve or anybody into a corner by asking it this way, but at the same time, I'm trying to give due respect to my LGBT friends and family. And I, I, as I'm having this conversation, I want them to know that I'm approaching this conversation, this problem 
nonviolently because I think that that is what is best for everybody involved. And it's not because um, I have a simplistic view of conflict that, oh, it should be easy to resolve this and that it comes down to me just being like, hey, I'm uncomfortable with you guys fighting, so why can't you get along? It's not like that. Um, and I, I can imagine when, I, when I'm coming at this from a nonviolent angle that there might be people who, who feel enraged and they say, hey, you're, you're treating these two viewpoints as equally valid. And I don't think that they're equally valid. So, uh, yeah, I'm trying to balance all those things. And, and I want this to be a really realistic, difficult, challenging conversation. And if we can model it well, maybe we can actually come up with something useful that maybe our listeners haven't, used, uh, haven't heard before. So my way of phrasing this question is, what human needs of yours, Steve, and or conservatives aren't met when LGBT people are regarded the same as straight people. Yeah. And I, like you mentioned, when I initially read that question, it did kind of uh, take me aback a little bit because I did feel like it, it, it felt a little like a gotcha question, but I know your heart. And I know that that's not your intention toward me. But as I, I mentioned when we talked about it, like if two people were to enter in a, into a room that didn't know each other and sit down uh, from two very different perspectives and one person asked this kind of question of the other, I think it would cause instant defense. I think so too. And, and, and either a fight or flight response. Um, but I know your heart. And so I, I want to answer that in goodwill. And I would say it really depends on what we mean by the same. Um, so first of all, I would say I want LGBT folks to be treated as equal people, that they have rights, that they are viewed as important um, that they have a place in this world to engage in life and thriving and fruitfulness and that they feel safe and protected and cared for by humanity around them. So all of those things, uh, that they are also image bearers of God. Um, and so, therefore, I, I view them as existentially same Okay. in, in that yeah. sense. Yeah. What I think conservatives are saying is we draw a distinction in acts, in, in what people do or what they believe. And in that place, we would say, we don't agree that all things are equally valid or same. Just as you mentioned before, some people would say, these two things aren't equally valid. And conservatives would say the same thing back. As far as my human need, I, I mean, I want them treated the same. 
Um, and in fact, that is part of my human need is, yeah. is that all people are held up and esteemed well. At the same time, there'd be a place where we'd come to a, a place of disagreement over how we express ourselves, how we live, how we act. And there's a, there's a place of disagreement that I'm not sure that we can truly get past. Um, but what we do with that then becomes important. Um, yeah, I guess I, in this conversation so far, I'm not sure where the friction comes in. I get that it would come in in your church and uh, we can table that. That's, that's a whole complex layer. Um, where, where I'm concerned about LGBT friends and family not being, not feeling equal and not feeling regarded the same is in the public sphere. Sure, and, and in the public sphere, I want them to be treated uh, generally the same. Now, I, I'll be honest, I and other conservative Christians don't view marriage equality uh, highly. I mean, that, that, I mean, again, that's that question of how we view things and our perspectives being different and not everything being equally valid. And so we would say marriage is confined to a very distinct uh, definition yeah. of, you know, and, and so this is the, the, the definition we're holding on to and other expressions around that are not the same. Right. And, and so, and that's where we get into friction, I think, because then we're talking when we talk about marriage, we also are talking about rights under the law. Right. I once uh, had a conversation with um, an organization uh, for, for LGBT rights. This was prior to um, the, the Supreme court case that Obergefell. And one of the things they said was um, when we have a, long-term partner or lifelong partner um, when we go to the hospital because one of us has, has been hospitalized for disease or whatever oh right um, that we can't go and talk about the DNR with the doctors or we can't yeah. go and make a decision about what's going to happen with their medical history and then their family members who may not be supportive of the relationship come in and make completely different uh, decisions, you know, things like that, that don't feel just or right or fair. And I say, yeah, that's a very real and valid issue. So then the question is, do we redefine marriage or do we change the laws that are unfair? And sometimes I think we go for the big sweeping thing instead of the, the issue itself. And so often there are laws that are so narrow and so overly defined that then um, it, it becomes unfair and it doesn't become just. Yeah. I would love to see a, a bipartisan cooperative movement to try to impose as few laws on each other as possible. 
Right. I, I would agree with that because I think we need to take a look at all of our law codes and really examine those publicly and say, what, what's real here? What, what fits and what doesn't fit? And what, what is right and wrong in, in some ways? Because it, things get so narrow that they, it no longer fits. And so in this case, what we're doing is we're legislating um, in areas for rights and then it becomes a charged issue. Yeah. Because then you're saying, hey, you don't see me the same as you, and therefore you're taking rights away from me, or I don't feel like I have equality under the law. And I think most conservatives say that's not really what it's about for us. It's about how do we define marriage? What, what does God say is valuable, and what do we want to hang on to from the past that we, we value? And we feel like so much is heading away from us so rapidly as a society, and we're being forced to come along for a ride we don't want to go on. Yeah, I get that. I don't want anyone to be forced to go on a ride that they don't want to go on. Although, I don't really mean that in an absolute sense. I mean, I have been forced to go on rides that I didn't want to go on, and then I was happy that somebody you know, pushed me to go on the ride, but uh, it depends on the type of pushing. If it's, if it's coming in from a loving manner from somebody who, uh, I don't know, I'm thinking about kids who were older than me when I was younger that uh, I looked up to and they dared me to do something or they kind of used a little bit of peer pressure, but I also felt that they respected me. I felt like that was a growing opportunity. So, I didn't feel quite right about saying as a general statement that no one should ever be pushed to go along with something they don't want. And I don't mean to imply that it, it applies to you in this particular conversation. You know, I think there are layers of complexity. And, and I think that if we're honest, when we get into shoulds and oughts, we would say, hey, you should see things this way. Yeah. And here are my presuppositions as to why. Yeah. And so I'd like you to see things this way. And I want you to shift. Yeah. I, I, want, I want you to come this direction. Yeah. And, and somebody might say, no, I don't, I don't want to see that. And might even say it a little bit more forcefully than that. Yeah. Um, but generally, we don't want to coerce people through law in order to violate their consciences. Right. What I think I agree you with and that. I would, yeah. would say. Yeah. And I, I do feel like something that maybe there should be more space for in our society is to say, hey, I want you to shift. Like, I think that's okay to have a conversation. Like you and I are friends and we want each other to shift and we're engaged in a, a meaningful conversation about it. And I, I don't want to be coddled and I don't want to coddle you. But at the right. same time, uh, it's helpful for us to become aware of how far we can go in debate mode and when it's necessary to shift into conflict resolution mode. Yeah. And I think that takes some skills. It does. That a lot of people haven't been encouraged to develop. Agreed. That's a, that's a main tenet of my beliefs nowadays. 
is that uh, we need to encourage people to to know where that line is, to see when debate is useful and when conflict resolution is useful. Right. And and I'll just say one of the things that I've been learning more recently um, is you often can't see that line through social media. <laughs> oh, very good point. Very, very good point. Yeah. So we, you know, you can try to convince, you can try to debate, but the reality is most people just throw memes at each other and it's yeah. not helpful. <laughs> and then you've done damage that you didn't even realize you've done. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I've been spending more than 10 years trying to testing out how can you be in conflict resolution mode on social media. And I feel like I've learned a lot from the testing, but it's, brought me to a place where I just want out. I want out of the game. <laughs> I want, yeah. if, I, if I didn't have a, a personal business that I was trying to build, if I hadn't been given so much advice on how helpful social media is for that, I would love to just unplug and have some phone yeah. calls with friends or stop by a friend's house and have dinner with them. And I think that's an important point too. So I would just encourage our listeners, um, rather than trying to engage in debate or in con trying to convince somebody who is on a different page on social media um, or through some written communication, our society just doesn't work that way very well anymore. I, I have valued that. Um, I value debate and even written debate but I sometimes think I'm a product of the 1920s rather than the <laughs> <Same here, laughs> 2020s, <yeah>. you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and so, um, but I, I think sitting down with somebody, even somebody who doesn't see things the same way over a meal or a cup of coffee and talking about it yes. is better, far better. Uh, because you can see the other person's expression and you can see where uh, something's shifted or it didn't land the way that you had hoped it would or, you know, any number of those things. And then sometimes you need to go into conflict resolution mode or or just go, you know what, I overspoke. I need to apologize. There's so much that is conveyed through things other than just our words. Um, it can be uh, tone of voice, it can be body language, it can be uh, verbal clutter where you, when you hear somebody else say um and that they're thinking about it, uh, it humanizes them as opposed to something that they've edited a few times and projected their most uh, pure and uh, beyond reproach version of. Sure. And I'd also love for listeners to think about the relevance of this analogy. So uh, we all get, we all think terrible thoughts about each other when we're on the road. And that makes sense. We're in a, you know, self-preservation mode and it, there's high stakes if somebody behaves badly on the road. But uh, just doing a thought experiment, like if somebody drives in a way that I don't like on the road, I'm, I've got an image in my mind of who that person is. And I have this story built up of all the nasty things and that they do and they believe and they're just the worst human. And I would feel differently if that person, 
you know, pulled up next to me later at a stoplight and it was somebody who I know to be a sweet person. You know, maybe it's your grandma or somebody, you know, from your church or something like that. Even though I can still be disappointed, like, why is she driving that way? I would feel so much differently uh, now that I know the story of that person. And I think that when we're online, when we're in social media, the same thing is happening that we're in our cars, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And yeah. we should find better opportunities to get out of our cars and talk to each yeah. other. I love that. I love that analogy. Um, yeah, it's kind of like that whole echo chamber thing. You know, if we yeah. if we only enclave with people who think exactly like us, um, we are not going to listen very well or have tolerance for a differing viewpoint um, or be able to have a meaningful back and forth with that person. Yeah. And some people say, well, I'm just fine with that. <laughs> Leave them be. I'm just going to do my thing. Sure. Uh, but eventually that leads to a place where we have to engage and then can we do so in helpful ways or do we just do so in a way that makes everything break down? Yeah. Well, Marshall, I, I just really want to thank you for this conversation. I think it was really helpful for us to be able to talk about some of these things. I know that there's other things that we could probably dig into in yeah. this episode, you know, in a future episode, but, um, I really just enjoyed this and I'm very thankful for your perspective and uh, your kindness. Hey, likewise. I, I feel much better about this attempt to uh, take a stab at this emotionally charged issue. And uh, I hope our listeners found something of value. Maybe there's some clues in what we've offered towards a path of peace and better understanding. Amen. Okay. See you next week.